Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Communications Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I'm happy to introduce my guest based in Washington State, Oscar Velasco Schmitz of Dockside Cannabis. Welcome to the show, Oscar. Good morning, Bethany. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great to connect with you. Um, So for our listeners, let's get to know you a bit more. Let's talk about your background and any experiences you had before finding yourself serving the cannabis industry, running Dockside Cannabis. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, thanks for this opportunity uh, to share a bit about myself. Uh, I'm a native of uh, the beautiful cosmopolitan uh, city known as Mexico City, uh, La Ciudad de México, CDMX. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother and I immigrated uh, to the United States when I was two years old. And so I've been privileged to uh, be raised biculturally uh, and bilingually uh, my entire life. And, uh, and certainly that's had uh, influences on my thinking and um, just knowing that there are uh, other cultures and other modes of communication and understanding uh, besides the, the dominant paradigm. Um, you know, leaving, leaving Mexico City, uh, we moved to California. And um, it was quite the contrast because I was raised 
in an agriculturally rich and very rural region of, uh, of the San Joaquin Valley in California. So very, very stark contrast um, mm-hmm. to a busy metropolitan city. Um, and one of the advantages of being uh, of being raised in this agricultural region was um, was the access to the politics that were happening at the time. Uh, my uh, my stepfather was very involved in the United Farm Workers um, at a very when I was very young, and uh, and I was exposed to. Uh, political movements and thinking and uh, strategies and tactics and so I at a very young age I understood that to be able to make a significant impact uh, you needed to organize and mobilize resources and so that was great um, I very quickly learned that farm living was not necessarily something I wanted to do my entire life <laughs> um, so um, so I pursued education, and um, I really took to, I really took to traditional school, and uh, that found me uh, at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Um, and here, I mean, California in general has a very, very long and rich history of uh, of cannabis culture and cannabis exposure, both uh, production and um, how, how do I say this? Just um, like the zeitgeist of uh, of of cannabis is is de- has definitely been um, uh, inculcated throughout many many decades in California, um, sure into the culture yeah. and and specifically in Santa Cruz, California. And for me, um, that was the first place that cannabis use was really normalized and um, uh, where I was made aware that okay, it's this is not. This is not the devil's weed, um, <laughs> you know. Growing, uh, growing up in uh, in in the Central Valley in the San Joaquin Valley, um, there was there was definitely a very conservative political mindset, and uh, the the dominant paradigm was to teach children that drugs were bad. Uh, that was there was there was no other narrative there. Um, right. Just drugs are bad. Um, you know, while the while the dare rallies were fun and you know everybody had a good time and it was an opportunity to take a field trip with your classmates, um, you know it was a it was a bit of an indoctrination. Um, and so for me, um, having been exposed to the culture of of cannabis in Santa Cruz, not all of Santa Cruz is 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 this way, uh, but uh, but a lot of the a lot of the folks that I hung out with. Um, that were uh, responsible and respectful uh, cannabis users really, really helped to form my my ideas about that. And just a bit about the the, the background uh, of my studies in Santa Cruz. I, I was lucky enough to study uh, theoretical linguistics and education and philosophy uh, and history of human consciousness, mm. um, anthropology, so psychology, sociology, a number of different topics. But what I what I ended up um, majoring in um, and doing research work in was theoretical linguistics, which is uh, what ended up uh, bringing me to Washington State. Um, I'd worked on a project and um, and somebody at the natural language group at Microsoft took interest in, uh, in my work and um, I had I had my first interview uh, for the Microsoft Corporation in a taqueria uh, in Half Moon Bay, California. 
Huh. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of a, a, an interesting set of circumstances. Um, but little did I know, going to Santa Cruz, I, I went there to study math. Um, and then a, a dear friend said, oh, yeah, I think you'd really like linguistics. You should, you should check out a couple classes. And I did, and I fell in love. And um, uh, lo and behold, uh, University of California, Santa Cruz has one of the top linguistics departments in the world. And so mm. I was exposed to uh, a very uh, sophisticated level of, of thought, technique, and, um, and really just the scientific method. Um, with regard to uh, with regard to language, and so Got that it. led yeah that led to that led to my career in software here in here in Seattle, and um, yeah, well, nothing. I've been exposed to cultures and politics and travel and art, and uh, while at Microsoft, I studied business and economics uh, through mentorships, and uh, I've always been interested in civic structures, and so. Uh, naturally, uh, with all of this, uh, all of the, the culmination of all of those things, um, I started. I started researching uh, cannabis uh, law, and uh, uh. I began writing white papers, um, presenting them to friends that were policymakers here in Seattle. And you know, lo and behold, all of them said, "Wow, this." You know, <laughs> some said, "Well, you're kind of crazy, but this is logical. This makes sense." And mm-hmm. so, uh, with a group of other very brave and uh, uh, folks that had the courage of their convictions to speak truth to to convention, uh, we we began uh, forming a commercial model for uh, for medical cannabis here in Washington State. Okay. Um, and so when was that? that? Was, what year was that? That was in the year 2000, late 2010, early 2011. Got it. Right. Yeah. And, and even before Washington state had its, um, had me- medical cannabis laws, thanks to then Senator Jeannie Cole Wells, uh, in 2000, in, uh, in 1998, uh, just three years after prop, uh, 215 in California passed. Um, and you know, just to just to circle back, uh, it, while I was in Santa Cruz, I ended up meeting uh, the grandfather of a good friend, and the gentleman was—he must have been in his late 80s, maybe early 90s—and he was it did very well for himself. He was an executive at the Safeway Corporation, kind of a conservative guy, mm-hmm. at least from appearance. But uh, but his attitudes in '95 were, oh yeah, yeah, marijuana should be should be absolutely legal and so nice. that was that was also a paradigm shift to me is seeing uh an elderly um person um who was well educated and very successful in their career mm-hmm. uh you know not necessarily you know uh dreadlock uh you know working at sure. uh, jock Stone creamery um you know espousing that yeah that cannabis was a uh, was a source for good. So anyway, uh, uh, to say that um, uh, the cannabis movement in Washington State has been has been strong for a long time, even before medical cannabis. Uh, we all know that there has been uh, parallel markets reconciling demand, supply paradigms for um, for cannabis for a very very long time. Right. So um, having uh, medical cannabis statutes in whatever jurisdiction allowed for a vehicle to have patient advocacy and to speak up and to say, hey, we really, uh, we 
want to use this uh, for medical purposes and we should be allowed to do so. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you can see there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of movement in that space um, medicinally and now um, with the adult use um, uh, initiatives that have passed through multiple jurisdictions in the US and, and across the globe. Right, right. And now there's adult use cannabis for adults over 21 in Washington and you run the dispensary called Dockside Cannabis. I am honored to, I'm honored to serve as a founder um, of Dockside Cannabis. Yeah, this is true. And um, we we have four stores in the Seattle metropolitan area. And um, oh, great. we're honored to serve patients and adult use consumers. Fantastic. Great. Thanks for telling us more about your background there. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll, we'll be right back to chat more with Oscar from Dockside Cannabis. So stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth sheepskin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, weekly podcast on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany, and we're talking with Oscar from Dockside Cannabis, based in the state of Washington. Uh, Oscar, so tell me more about what you're doing these days, today, in the Seattle metro area. You mentioned, of course, the operation of your four shops of Dockside Cannabis. What else is going on up there and how else are you involved? Yeah, so um, at this point, um, at this point, you're now, we're now starting to see um, not just normalization of attitudes towards cannabis, but normalization of business practices and mm -hmm. normalization of infrastructure within the state of Washington. And so uh, to that end, um, we've had to really build a lot of the institutions 
that provide the foundation for such things to happen. One of those institutions is uh, the Cannabis Alliance, which um, I'm privileged to sit as a, as at this point, an adjunct board member of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we started off as the uh, through Americans for Safe Access, first doing patient advocacy. That then morphed into an industry group called the Coalition for Cannabis Standards and Ethics. Um, And then that organization merged with uh, different groups throughout the state. The CCSE, the Coalition for Cannabis Standards and Ethics, was founded in Seattle. um, And uh, one of the one of the demerits of only being a Seattle-based organization was that we weren't really getting a lot of the voices from different parts of the state. So we really put, we put together an outreach um, initiative to, uh, to contact other folks that had interest and had opinions and had experiences throughout the state. And we found that there were other organizing um, uh, bodies and we decided to meld those organizations into the uh, Coalition for Cannabis, uh, into the Cannabis Alliance, I beg your pardon. Mm -hmm. And through that organization, we, um, we represent a constituency of about 250 members throughout the state. Um, And these are folks that are producers, processors, retailers, uh, folks in ancillary businesses such as HR consultants, mm-hmm. uh, accountants, bookkeepers, so on and so forth. Any any aspect that would uh, feed into the cannabis supply chain, both directly and uh, at an ancillary level. So yeah. procurement of uh, packaging, so on and so forth. And uh, so that's something that's keeping me busy. I've also um, uh, have been uh, privileged to be invited to sit on a couple of uh, advisory boards, both to the city of Seattle, uh, to the uh, Washington State Senate, um, and uh, and to provide just um, uh, to provide input to our regulatory body, which is the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board. And they um, need to hear from you. <laughs> they, 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 they certainly do. They and, really you know, do. <laughs> they, they 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 really do. And um, you know, for as much. Uh, slack as they take on, I think uh, people have to understand that this is a nascent industry and cultural shift of of being able to normalize a good in a goods market that has already existed, uh, that has been reconciled in parallel markets before. And mm-hmm. so transitioning that and creating the infrastructure, the regulatory, um, uh, the regulatory underpinnings, um, it's a it's a significant undertaking. And so it it takes work to get it it, right. It takes work to get it right. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think really patience, gathering communication, it's all fundamental to, to making the system work. So that's the work that I'm doing um, on the policy side of things, on the regulatory side of things, on the, on the business side of things. Like I mentioned, um, we, we and my two partners, um, uh, operate four stores here in the Seattle area, and uh, and now that that has has normalized as well, and as we've uh, established our uh, business rules and protocols and systems and so on and so forth, this has allowed me to um, to present at different things like continuing le- legal education seminars. And I was um, I was approached um, by somebody at afterwards uh from the audience who said i need to rent your brain and so immediately (laughs) wow what a (laughs) thank you for the thank you for the bouquet of flowers um and uh, and i said well let me talk to my group and see what we can put together and so now we've uh 
I've I've now have stepped into an executive consultant role where um, I serve as advisor to private entities, to institutional entities, um, as well as um, as well as a tribal entity here in Washington State. And, oh yeah. Uh, and, it's such a privilege to be able to work with um, with all of these different groups. So that's what's keeping me busy. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so, again, so yeah. Yeah, no, that it's, uh, it's, it's great to get involved in all of those things and make sure that, you know, the opinions and the information and the facts are, are available. So yeah, thanks yeah. for staying busy. I know it's probably a lot to take on, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, and another thing I, I, I forgot to mention is that uh, I'm just talking about the work that I've been doing here in Washington State. A lot of the, the foundational work that um, that I very happily did uh, has transitioned into into folks outside of the state of Washington reaching out to me for uh, mm. for guidance, for information, just for feedback and and uh, to learn about the experiences that we've had here in Washington while we've implemented. So I've been able to uh, help folks talk about these topics in Arkansas, in Missouri, uh, in Tennessee, um, and abroad, um, in exchanges in Germany, uh, in Israel, uh, in France, in Italy, yeah. uh, in Mexico. <clears throat> And um, you know, just essentially creating uh, creating this web of support um, for what is a what is a global shift in um, in cannabis regulation and statute. Yeah, um, we've only got a couple minutes left in this segment, and I did want to talk a bit about global markets. But um, first, quickly, um, banking and taxes are two huge issues for the cannabis industry and you're you are subject to those pretty awful federal tax codes section 280 of the tax code meaning you can't deduct most normal business expenses um can you quickly just talk about that and how it's impacting you and the need for reform yeah okay so uh your listeners must know the history of 280e so i'm not going to get into that uh, right it's an it, interesting it, story it's, it's, it's a very interesting story <laughs> but effectively but effectively what this does is that uh is that businesses that operate uh within the cannabis space that are actually touching the plant uh, uh as as the as the code uh specifically says cannot take standard business deductions right because it's um, a schedule on, on expenses yep. exactly for uh for traffic of Schedule One or Schedule Two narcotics. Okay, well, yeah. you know th there are they're very very interesting. Um, uh, you can you can read the code. You can read a very narrow scope interpretation or a very broad scope interpretation of that code. Um, you know, consider the fact consider the fact that the the businesses uh, that are state licensed and regulated by jurisdictions are are in concessionary relationships with the jurisdiction that oversees their business existence. Okay. And with, without, without giving too much away about, about our thinking about this, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, there are, um, there are approaches that businesses can take to minimize the impact of this very, what is, what I believe is, is not a, a law that is, um, unjustly applied to right. uh, state licensed businesses. This is not trafficking. Um, and, so clearly uh, we need to update the law. We need to. Oh, I think absolutely. It, yeah. To, I mean, NCIA's to, approach is to amend that section of the code to exempt state legal 
cannabis businesses. So um, getting that kind of amendment um, is is a process in and of itself, of course, and and we work through the various uh, channels that we have with our GR team in DC. so yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it needs to change. It's it's out of date. It doesn't make sense. We're in a whole new paradigm now. Um, so it's just got to change. Um, well, you know, an- another thing, Bethany, if I may, you know, the congressional delegations in uh, in Washington D.C. from the different states need to know that uh, those tax dollars that are what I believe are unjustly and perhaps illegally uh, being pilfered from these businesses mm-hmm. are not staying in the state of those businesses. They're mm-hmm. in fact, they're being extracted uh, by, uh, by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the constituency of these representatives are being negatively impacted by an antiquated uh, code that desperately needs to be updated. Yeah. So this is yeah. something very important to note. Um, and for some of your listeners that, that want to um, exchange, if I may, uh, you know, selfish, uh, selfishly say, you know, please feel free to, I, I don't know if you'll give my contact, but feel free to send an email to info at DocSideCannabis.com. Cool. Great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thanks for the offer. Of okay, course. we have to take our last commercial break here and we'll be right back to chat more with Oscar. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and we're chatting with Oscar from Dockside Cannabis about all things cannabis. We've we've covered some 
deeper issues related to Section 280E of the tax code and how that's impacting the cannabis industry. Uh, also banking. Banking's a big deal and NCIA's extra excited about banking right now because we've had movement on the Safe Banking Act, the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, uh, which provides safe harbor for cannabis companies. However, it is only out of committee at this point, which is still a very big deal, um, but it still has uh, its journey as a bill sitting on Capitol Hill <laughs> making its way. Um, so Oscar, talking about the banking crisis, what's interesting is Washington state has actually made some progress on its own on this front for cannabis companies. Can you uh, tell me more about what's going on in yeah, Washington? Yeah, thanks for that. Absolutely. Thanks, Bethany. Mm -hmm. uh, so credit unions have really stepped up to serve the industry in Washington state. Cool. And while not all capital market products are available yet through these institutions, uh, the primary operating functions uh, that allow for businesses to operate day to day are in place. Uh, and they are under uh, strict compliance rules around mm -hmm. using these services. And again, it's up to the sole discretion of these private credit unions uh, as to which business entities they bank. So there is a, there's a rigorous vetting process that goes on uh, to be able to, to gain access. But so we do have a limited amount of banking services, um, uh, albeit without the use of uh, of credit cards yet, because that's mm. a completely separate set of protocols. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's great to hear. And you know, while we're working on the bigger banking crisis nationally, um, hopefully more credit unions in other states will step up and follow suit uh, for for the friendly credit unions we're finding in Washington State. That's great. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's jump to another topic real quick. Uh, obviously, in the U.S., we're seeing co-sponsors on our legislation that supports our industry on both sides of the aisle, um, Democrats and Republicans, and we, the industry, are getting out there and educating them and putting our personal face on it. Um, so there's anecdotes and research that we're able to uh, bring in and show these regulators and lawmakers uh, to tell them what's holding us back. What what has your experience been around some of that really uh, important information or maybe research that we still need? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, we need, we still need to fund basic research around the plant. Mm -hmm. We need to fund basic research under uh, to really investigate at the molecular level what are the benefits specifically to different indications uh, for medical purposes? Um, what are what are what are health externalities that we should be considering? This all requires basic research. That's these are a lot of the questions that I get from uh, from really big picture thinkers from institutions. You know, what are the risks that are involved? What are uh, what are people thinking? And and unfortunately, because of the stigma and the statutes uh, in the U.S., a lot of this research has not happened here. A lot of it is happening in Israel uh, now that uh, medical cannabis is um, is legal in Europe. You're going to start to see a lot more research happening there. And so, really, yeah. the U.S. is really 
we're, we're kind of cutting ourselves at the knees by not doing this. Um, and in yep. fact, there's there's a vehicle here at the University of Washington in putting together a cannabinoid research center, which would deal with the pharmacology, the psychopharmacology, the plant biology, all aspects, and not just uh, uh, UW, but also Washington State University to do the research on the agronomy, the agricultural research as well. Um, and so a lot of efforts are, are underway and uh, the different jurisdictional legislature, legislative bodies uh, need to fund these efforts, as Absolutely. does the federal government of America. Truly. Um, yeah. So before we wrap up the show here, yeah, I'd like to mention one of our policy council papers uh, about how the U.S. is falling behind in the global cannabis market, which is actually the name of the policy council paper we published. It can be found in two spots on NCIA's website. It's in the industry reports section under the uh, news and resources, and it's also uh, in the policy council area, uh, which is under the about us. So I highly recommend checking out that report, how the U.S. is falling behind in the global cannabis market. Um, Okay, so before we head out, I want to say thank you so much for being involved in NCIA. You've been a member for many years, and um, I appreciate your involvement in the community, uh, local and national, and um, I do hope to see you at Lobby Days this year in May, if you can make it. Thank you, Yeah, May 21st through 23rd. For more information about that, go to thecannabisindustry.org slash Lobby Days 2019, and you must be a member of NCIA, and you must register in advance to participate. So a friendly reminder to those listening. Um, So yeah, thank you again, Oscar. It's always a pleasure to connect with you, and thank you again for being a member of NCIA. Of course, yeah. I just want to say NCIA was at the forefront of this effort, and it's really provided the megaphone and the platform for our voices to ring in the ears of our elected officials. So thank you for that, NCIA. Mutual gratitude. All right. Um, Okay, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Uh, Until next time. opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.